want to spend a few minutes, though, talking about the police and the role of police in all of this. And Tanya Visentin joins me on the line now, Constable with the Vancouver Police Department uh, in the Media Relations Office. Uh, Constable, Officer, thank you so much for taking some time for being with us today. No problem. Thanks, Jill, for having me. Uh, if we talk specifically about this past weekend, what what types of parties? I know uh, one of the one of the officers as well, Howard Chow, was tweeting about the party on Granville Street. We saw the party on Rec Beach. What kind of a response does police have when you hear about these things? Mm-hmm. So I'll start with the the Granville Entertainment District. So that area for us has always been a challenge. You know, you have your bars, you have your clubs and liquors involved. And as the night progresses, people, you know, some people become more intoxicated, which leads to um, certain levels of violence or crime. So in, in general, it always is on the weekends a problem for us. But now with COVID, the challenge is greater. Um, you know, we have, you know, a large amount of group congregating. I know our officers... Um, you know, they, they notice that the crowd is, you know, they're not so much coming down to go into the bars. So we do see just a large crowd forming on the Granville Street. Um, we have our buskers on the Granville Street, which is great. But during COVID, again, it's it's creating a large group. And, and you know, as Dr. Bonnie Henry said, and uh, you know, we can't be having these large groups form. You know, our, our officers will continue to be a proactive presence on the mall. Um, you know, we will try our best to shut that activity down. But as the number of people grow, it does become more of a challenge. Uh, yeah. What can police do when I see the, the tweet from Howard Chow talking mm-hmm. about the party on Friday saying they always close off the 900 block like they do on Fridays and Saturdays. That's to give people more room, cuts down on violence and fights. Here we saw at midnight uh, some DJs setting up speakers, a crowd draws. What? enforcement powers do police have in that scenario? So as of now, the Vancouver police have not been issuing any tickets for non-compliance with social distancing, isolating, quarantine, etc. The province has made it loud and clear that they will be taking the lead on this and um, they have officers specifically assigned to enforce uh, these types of things. So as a police, we will continue to focus on public safety, of course, prevention of crimes and uh, as always upholding the law. What we can do right now is spread awareness and educate the community on the importance of social distancing. So this is something that uh, requires more talks with our partners, which we are in constant contact with our park rangers, liquor inspectors, bylaw officers, and moving forward how we can all work together um, to combat this issue and hopefully stop the spread. Do police have the power? Because I think there's some confusion over that as well. Is it only bylaw officers that if they see people not to physically distancing, can they give a ticket or could police issue tickets if they wanted to? Right now, we we haven't been given direction on uh, issuing tickets. So right now, like I said, our um, pr- the province has taken the lead on this and and. W- you know, they will be moving forward and how we move forward. That's something that we're still in communication with, with our partners. So would you need a special directive then to have that power? Yeah, you know, it's not that simple. Um, Again, this is, this is unprecedented times that we're living in. And as the police, we will continue to, to, you know, respond to those calls. You know, if, if we're on the Granville Street Mall and calls of violence come in, we, we will be there to respond. So that is our number one role right now and we'll continue to be a proactive presence. Uh, how concerning is it? We've seen police officers that have been exposed and who have contracted this virus. How concerning is it that when we see large parties like this, be it the Granville Mall, the Rec Beach party that police are called to, that it also puts police in dangerous uh, places as far as if there is the virus present? 
of course, it's it's very concerning. And, you know, as a police, just like other frontline workers, um, you know, paramedics, firemen, uh, you know, hospital staff, like we're, we all come to work every day and we know the risks of our job. And with COVID happening, yes, it's unprecedented times, but it's just another one of our risks of coming to the job. So, you know, it's not just, oh, we're the police and, and now are, we're at risk. Like this is, this is a, 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 on a human level, like we're all at risk. And so when we do see this, it's very concerning and and we're all you know uh, to quote bonnie henry i I hate to sound uh, cheesy but we are all in it together and we need everybody needs to do their part and and start stepping up the game so would police support then a bigger crackdown as far as bylaw officers actually issuing tickets or issuing fines or doing more to break up these parties to stop these parties from uh, even starting in the first place yeah, you know, I mean, we we support anything that's going to be for the betterment of everyone else. So, again, we're we are in contact with all of our partners um, on the city level and provincial level, and then hopefully that's something we can do moving forward. Would you like to see nightclubs shut down? That's you know, right now, right now they are closed, I believe, and and you know, it's it's a it's a really challenging time, and it's you know, it's. It's hard to say based on, you know, like people's mental well-being and, and the economy. And there's so many factors that play uh, a part of the, the role right now. And, you know, right now, I think the number one concern is the safety and the health of, of everyone in our city and in our province. We are continuing to talk about not only the behavior of some people, what we saw this past weekend, large parties, gatherings in the Granville Mall area of Vancouver on Rec Beach. We didn't get to everybody on the open line. Fear not, though. We will have much more time for your calls a bit later on in the program. This is all happening at the same time a new survey was released by the Angus Reid Institute, and it takes a look at the actions and the views of Canadians. And the headline on this survey saying that one in five Canadians making little to no effort. That's nothing, doing absolutely nothing to stop the coronavirus spread. So one in five might not sound like a huge number, but it's still one in five that, for whatever reason, don't feel they need to do anything to stop the spread of this virus. Well, joining me on the line is Colin Furness with the University of Toronto. He's an epidemiologist. Uh, Colin Furness, thank you so much for joining us again. My pleasure. Thanks. Uh, what goes through your mind when you see that statistic that one in five are doing nothing when it comes to precautions and taking measures to stop the spread of COVID-19? You know, it sounds bad. I don't think it's actually that concerning. And I say that for two reasons. First of all, the 80-20 rule kind of applies when we, when we think about infections spreading through communities. In other words, if 80% of the people are not susceptible, the other 20 tend to stay safe. Um, this is analogous to that. In other words, if 80% of the population are actively preventing spread, the actions of the other 20 are going to be lower impact. That's number one. Number two is it's one thing to be telephoned and asked, um, what you're doing about COVID and, and you're kind of partly asking and how much of a bummer is COVID and, and people can react. What they actually do when they go outdoors may not be quite the same. So I see compliance at 100% in the grocery store, pretty close to that in the um, public transit. So people may be sitting there thinking, this mask is dumb, I wish I didn't have to wear it, uh, and they're in that 20%, but they're complying. So it's the, the only bad thing or the only risk I see is when you get a clump of like-minded people. In other words, some of those 20 
20% hang together and they have the house parties, they do some of the things that you mentioned, that's when we've got some risk. And I think that's why we've all got to, the other 80% have to keep on doing what they're doing and engaging with and talking with that 20% and keeping up the social pressure. Right. And I guess, too, with that 20%, there could be a number of people in there that when a person doing the survey calls them up and asks them the questions, uh, these could be people in some scenarios that aren't going outside anyway, aren't leaving their homes and aren't in any scenario where you would have to take measures. Well, that's a good point. Everyone's going to interpret that question according to exactly what they're doing. And you're right. If someone is already living our hermit-like existence, they may truthfully answer that they're not doing anything. And at the same time, yes, they're, they're not being a risk to anyone. And these surveys are going to have some margin of error. And I don't think this is way out of line for what we should expect. And certainly a lot better than what's going on in the U.S. Uh, the the survey looked at age, it looked at gender, because certainly in the past few days, we've been talking a lot about the younger generation, the, the late teens, the early 20s, and that's uh, and, and not all, certainly. There are people in that age group that are doing everything right as well, but it does seem like we've been focused on that. Uh, any surprise that it, it did show that perhaps there are a bit more people in that group that are pushing the rules? Not at all. I mean, I talk to I talk to my students about this, and you are quite right. We shouldn't tar them all and say all twenty somethings are being irresponsible because that's not true. But for for those who are, um, I think that age group is hit particularly hard with social isolation. I think kids can be quite resilient. I think old folks, sort of <laughs> like me, kind of think, well, a little peace and quiet isn't so bad. We have ways to cope in that age group. And if I were in my twenties, I'm not sure how compliant I would be. I'm not sure if I'd have the maturity. And I would certainly be feeling it. So we shouldn't be surprised. And I think the thing to do is to try and accommodate, not not finger wag, uh, but accommodate and say, how can we let young people get together in a way that minimizes risk? And the obvious answer is outdoors whenever possible and, you know, with masks and a big crowd. And the outdoors thing, I think, is probably the most important thing we can do. So, you know, if it's about letting people drink in parks, if it's about erecting um, uh, tents or other sorts of structures so that so that people can have a roof over their head and, and be social and be outside, I think that's the way forward with that group. And I think that's that's what I would do if I could. But you said three things there, outside, with masks, and, and the crowds, so, so space to be outside. So how important is with masks? Because the videos that we saw surfacing in BC this weekend did not show masks. Well, that's a good point. I, whenever I'm asked about this, I say always indoors, always, always, always indoors, wear masks when other people are around. But when you're outside, it's not nearly as important, and I advise people for the most part not to, uh, along with not being in a big crowd, because the, the, the breeze, you get maximum ventilation from being outside. It's very hard to tell if someone's got bad breath outside for the same reason. So being outside is protective, and, and even with the, with the anti-racism riots we saw earlier in the summer, those were big protests and we didn't see big jumps in cases and that suggests that being outside is all right now a lot of people there were wearing masks but then again a lot weren't so i would say if i had to pick my harm reduction strategy it would simply be go outside party outside and that's a pretty easy bar especially in the summertime for people to meet so if we if we if we wanted to go strictly on harm reduction that would be my number one message uh, so uh, so when you see people reacting then and and being furious uh, when we see these videos because we're talking about things like dancing and drum circles and and I know it's always tough to tell in a video but it does look like people are very close together do you think that's an overreaction look if 
If I think about parents, and I'm one, who are wondering about how our kids are going to get back to school, if I think about all the things that people I know have sacrificed, you can see why people could feel really outraged that a self-entitled minority is doing this in spite of all this sacrifice. Yes. So I can really understand that outrage and that frustration. But I think it's, it, it doesn't change the fact that for everyone who's concerned about this, they need to continue to do what they, what they do safely, and we need to continuously engage and try and accommodate those who aren't and and be compassionate about those who can't not everyone can wear a mask and i think it's really important accommodating is much better than finger wagging and blaming in public health and and the extent to which we can do that i think marks how how smart we are in in conducting our public health interventions and when you talk about the 80 20 rule i always find that really interesting so if 80 percent continue to do the hand washing the mask wearing the distancing and do and do everything right uh, even though we're seeing a resurgence in numbers in bc do you think that will be enough it will be enough in combination with extraordinary measures that places like long-term care homes. It will be enough when people who are of a certain age understand that they need to be extra careful. Um, it will be enough if we identify our marginalized populations, uh, underhoused, for example, um, uh, where there are mental wellness challenges. If we can pay extra attention to those vulnerable groups, then yes, I think the 80% will manage to keep the lid on spread that tends to happen among the 20%. The only exception to that, as I say, is when you get a large number of 20 percenters together and so one possibility would be university campuses and and so that would be one to watch very carefully because orientation week is the best party of of your life if you're in that group and that would be concerning to me so that would be the that would be the one specific thing i would watch carefully We are continuing to talk about not only what was happening this past weekend, a lot of videos surfacing, one of a party that sprung up, you could say, on the Granville Mall, DJs setting up music, people dancing, Vancouver police saying they did move in and stop that party from happening. They do continue to keep that that section of Granville closed to traffic. And during COVID, part of the reason for that being it gives people that space to distance, that that space to be outside. That doesn't really work, though, when we're talking about crowds and singing and dancing. Let's bring in Curtis Robinson, the chair of Bar Watch, to get a better idea on what is happening in uh, and around the city. Curtis, thanks so much for being with us. Hi, Jill. What is your understanding then on what's happening? Because there seems to be some confusion over which nightclubs are open, what's happening on the Granville Strip itself. But what is your understanding of what it looks like as far as what's open right now? Well, the majority of Bar Watch bars are open, um, and uh, they're open with respect to the rules from the provincial health officer. Right. That means that um, actually all Bar Watch bars closed on St. Patrick's before St. Patrick's Day, and have been closed since uh, that time until very recently. And during that time, what happened is uh, they made the arrangements to uh, prepare and repurpose their their places in anticipation for the rules and uh, since July 31st when the new rules came out they're uh, complying with those as well with respect to social distancing. Right because it was my understanding as well that nightclubs uh, strip clubs as well uh, they fall under the food service establishments and liquor services so that's as part of the phase that we're in right now uh, they would have the same rules as restaurants and and other bars uh, physical distancing you can't have more than six people uh, per table that kind of thing. Everybody has those rules. Right. Um, 
you know, it's the same as, as a restaurant as it is for, say, a pub or, or a bar or, a, you know, any, any type of premises open right now has the same uh, set of rules. And from what you are seeing with Bar Watch members, are the rules being followed and, and people, because it kind of makes staff the policing of this, doesn't it, to make sure everybody's following these rules? Actually, I've, I've gone down and toured a number of places that are Bar Watch bars to see what they've done. I've gone to uh, Pump Jack, uh, the number five, and a number of other places to see what they've done. And it's actually quite amazing what they did ahead of time. So compliance with the 31st rules that came out from Bonnie Henry uh, wasn't that much of a step in difference, including barriers, uh, distances between seats, um, spacing, um, sanitization, signage, and all the other rules, particularly when it comes to um, the social distancing aspect, which Dr. Henry has made clear I don't know how many different times about how important this is. So uh, the capacity, for example, is based upon the nightclub, or pardon me, the club or licensed premises' ability to enforce the social distancing rules. And that's how they're, they're dealing with the occupancy. So they're not looking at, at jamming everybody into a place. They're looking at how it can operate with paying particular attention to social distancing and the interactions socially within licensed premises. And what about the concerns, though, when you're in a place where there's drinking and, and there is a, a crowd of people, even though you are distancing, that people tend to, a few drinks in, you kind of forget what the rules are, and maybe you're you're a bit lazy when it comes to the rules, and that has the potential for exposures. That's a great question. And what it does is lead into what Barwatch has done with respect to that specific issue. So... You know, Barwatch initially dealt with primarily um, the issue of people involved in violent criminal activities. That was the main focus of the program when it started years ago. And um, we also initiated what's called a code of conduct, which talks about behavior of patrons independent to what the police expect. This is this is uh, uh, essentially a, a code of conduct that the clubs and bars universally have adopted for how patrons behave and the consequences of that. So when this took place and the virus became obviously the biggest issue for people that are going to different establishments, we took that a step further and said that there, there are consequences for not following the social distancing rules in bar watch bars. And that is, you know, you remind people, on the way in, you explain to them what the rules are. And during the evening, if you have individuals who decide or maybe they forget, uh, they're warned and explained that, look, you've got to sit down, okay? You can't be walking in between tables. It's not permitted under the current rules for obvious reasons. And you get a second warning. And if you're not paying attention and you're not getting the message, then you're escorted out of the premises. And if at that time you decide that you're not going to listen to reason or the rules don't apply to you, then we've made the decision that we're going to use the um, code of conduct guidelines and bar you for a period of initial three months. And that means you're not allowed in any bar watch bar because you're not being reasonable. And, and do you know, has that, has that been happening during the pandemic? 
It worked like a charm. <laughs> Evidently, everybody's paying attention. <laughs> I, I just, I'm curious with the, the clubs, especially I see it in bars, but clubs where the whole point is to often to go and dance and, and be in these places, are they able to make to make ends meet? Are people still coming and, and, what, and, and sitting in tables and not doing that kind of typical club behavior? This has hit the entertainment industry very, very hard for obvious reasons. People go out to socialize, they go out to, to, forget about the problems and enjoy an evening out. So it has hit the industry very, very hard. And what the Bar Watch community has done is figure out a way to survive and hire back their staff members under these rules, these very strict rules. And I've basically decided they're going to try to make it uh, with within the rules that allow people to attend as long as they pay attention to the rules. So it has been very difficult and remains to be a very difficult economic enterprise for these places to survive, but they're doing their best. And I can imagine that even when we talk to restaurants too about the capacity and how many people you can allow in, clubs must be in a similar situation. They are, and that's a great question because the rules from the provincial uh, health officer have been very, very specific um, regarding occupancy. And what Dr. Henry and Brian Emerson have said is that they're going to rely upon the bar watch clubs. And, and I say that because I've been in touch with Dr. Emerson, so I can't speak for other places, that allow the club to maintain the occupancy provided that they are able to control the social distancing and control the people inside relative to the social distancing rules, which includes the tables are moved apart. There is no dancing. Dancing is absolutely not allowed. So they've filled the dance floors and places with chairs or, or other items to ensure that people understand that dancing is off the table. And that if you're going to go up to use the washroom, obviously that's fine and all this kind of thing, but interaction socially within the uh, outside of your your bubble or or the group of people you've gone in with is uh, monitored and uh, and enforced. All right. And do you do you anticipate or do you hear from the members of Bar Watch that they'll be able to continue doing this? I mean, that's one of the big fears that we've seen the numbers surging again. That we're looking at possibly more restrictions, and, and nobody wants to see things shut down again. But is there a concern with the numbers and where we are right now? Yes, we pay attention. And and what I said at the very beginning when we've had several meetings with the owners and operators is, look, you know, expecting perfection uh, is is essentially, you know, not necessarily realistic. It's what you do and what you've done to prepare for this for every single, uh, you know, request from the provincial health officer. And then above that. Um, when I went down to, for example, Pump Jack and looked around in the place, like it is absolutely amazing what some of these places, or the majority of them, depending on, on uh, what type of premise they have, have done to ensure that there is very, very limited contact between people outside of, say, the two to six people that come in, and they have to sit to where they are. There's indications where the table is. It's been sanitized, uh, et cetera, and there's our rules. And the, the places try to explain to people very clearly in bar watch bars 
that social distancing is the number one concern and it's for your safety and the safety of others. So when I see things that, that, for example, happen on Granville Street or the video, for example, of a club move by or whatever it was called at levels, just makes me shake my head about what it is people aren't getting right now. It's very disturbing because when that happens, it reflects on the entire entertainment industry, and that's not necessarily fair. We have been talking a lot about the various parties that were documented this past weekend. We know the numbers of COVID-19 cases in BC have been going up, and we will get that update at 3 o'clock today, taking a look at the last few days, the last three days, and seeing what the numbers look like today. A lot of people talking about getting that message to everybody, including the younger generations, people that maybe were seen in those videos that have surfaced from the parties this past weekend. Well, at the very beginning, of the pandemic, we were chatting with Kyla Lee, who is a lawyer, but also had COVID-19. So we are going to check in with Kyla again to see how things are going and to talk about getting this message out. Kyla, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, it seems like it was such a long time ago. We were talking about your diagnosis and that you were quarantined at home. How are you doing now? Um, well, I don't have COVID anymore, but I am experiencing some long-term lasting effects from it, um, where I have shortness of breath, just doing basic activities, and I get flare-ups of the symptoms. They come back for about 10 days. It's like I have COVID all over again, but I'm testing negative, and then they disappear. And what do health officials say? Is that normal, or, or what do they say when, when you flare up with the symptoms and you, and you uh, ex- experience this now? I mean, they're worried uh, because there are cases of people who have these flare-ups and then develop a very serious illness as a result of it and, and do become at risk for death. So I, when it happens, I end up in the hospital getting a number of tests, lung x-rays, heart monitor, all the whole works. Um, and they say, everything on paper is fine. You can't explain your symptoms, so go home and isolate. Wow. So not, uh, imagine if you look back to March when you had this in the first quarantine, like so many people, you probably thought, okay, I know you were getting medical advice from, from, from people in your family as well, thinking I'll get through this, I'll carry on and life will go on as it was before. I totally thought that. And I also thought, you know, in some ways I'm lucky because I'm going to have an immunity and the world will be my oyster after I recover from this. And it turns out that the exact opposite is true. What goes through your mind then when you see these videos surface of, of parties and younger people, and again, not painting everybody with the same brush, but when you see crowds and people who clearly are not following the rules and not taking it seriously? I just get so frustrated. I, it, to me, it's incredibly selfish. It's, it's people who don't care about their own lives, but also don't care about the lives of everybody else that they're around day to day, as well as at that party. Um, and I, I'm appalled at the way that people in my generation are, are playing fast and loose with the health of, of so many people just for the experience of one party. And with some of the, the explanations being given of it's summertime, people are going to do this. This is, uh, this is what young people do, especially uh, given these beautiful sun-filled evenings in Vancouver. Uh, I, I know a lot of people hear that as well and think, well, that's, just because it's summertime, just because it's what you would normally do, isn't a reason to keep doing it this year. 
Well, and and that justification can be used basically for any time of year. You know, you can you can say it in the dead of winter. Well, people need to gather because it's dark out and people get antisocial and moody. And it's you know, it's the holidays. It's Christmas. We need to be together. It's October. It's rainy. People need company. That justification doesn't fly with me because you can just twist it for any circumstance. Just because it's sunny doesn't mean you should be entitled to go out and gather in large groups. And you can enjoy the sun just as much with six people or fewer while you're in your bubble. Uh, You, as a lawyer, often deal with people who have been penalized, whether it's for talking on their cell phone at a red light or uh, maybe they refuse to give a breathalyzer at the side of a road. You're used to dealing with people that have done something that has a consequence. Do you think there needs to be more consequences when it comes to the rules and regulations now in place with COVID-19? I think they're due. Um, You know, originally I was buying into this idea that we don't need to impose consequences and we can trust people's good judgment. But when people have consistently now for a couple of weeks been demonstrating that they can't exercise good judgment, that they're done following the rules um, and that they're going to flaunt these you know, public safety measures that we're encouraging people to do, I think it's time to impose consequences for those who don't follow them. It's the next logical step in any sort of system of trying to get people to comply with uh, necessary measures. And we spend a lot of time, and I think because the videos of the parties surfaced this weekend, there's so much focus on that right now. But talking to experts and health officials, it seems like those, while they are not going, they're not following the distancing rules for sure, uh, there's more of a risk if you're, say, in very close quarters with somebody, you're in a grocery store, uh, you go out if you have symptoms. Uh, how How would that look, do you think, in that more penalties for being in a situation with a higher risk? I think so. I think you can easily increase the penalties. I think if we saw, rather than recommendations, public health orders put in place, then it's easy to apply penalties because violating public health orders have have automatic penalties. So, you know, making orders that require people to do things like maintain appropriate distancing when in stores and restaurants, um, you know, orders of things that we're being told we should be doing anyway, and that businesses are supposed to be ensuring people are doing as well. Uh, you use the phrase "my generation." I don't. Uh, I'm not saying you should. You need to put your age out there to the listeners, but it is. We do talk about so-called the younger generation. Uh, I thought Ryan Reynolds was an odd choice by the premier to be the person to connect, as he's in his uh, mid 40s. So I think he's 43, uh, and and he referenced a movie from 1967 in his message to the young people. But how do you get to get the message out to your generation? I think for my generation, it's a lot about relatability. We need to see people who we can relate to because they're like us. And Ryan Reynolds, you know, on one hand, is a lot like us in the sense that, he, you know, he's funny and he's online and he's being silly and you, you kind of get this sense that he's like a real person. But at the same time, it's not like you're ever going to have the chance to go out and have a beer with Ryan Reynolds. And I think people my age want to see messages come from people who who are like them, who live lives like them, um, because then it, it really brings it home that this is something that can happen to you. And it, I find it interesting, too, and, and it's kind of like the argument when you hear from men, and it tends to often be male celebrities when they have a daughter or, or, or such, they, they, they discover this respect of women, which drives me nuts because I feel like, have you never met another woman in your life? Did you not have a mother at some point? And the same argument's being made here in that, oh, well, once a, if a young person knows somebody who died or a young person knows somebody who had this illness, it'll, it'll make it more real and, and make them act. I, it just shouldn't be that you need to have that happen to take this seriously. 
It shouldn't. But at the same time, I think, you know, for a lot of us, there's this this idea of invincibility. I mean, it kind of decreases in your 30s. But, um, you know, there's this idea of invincibility and the lack of vulnerability that that we've developed. Um, And I, I agree, we shouldn't have to know somebody who died. And we shouldn't have to know somebody who died because we should all be following the rules staying at home, staying in our bubbles, and making sure that nobody that we know dies. And uh, just before I let you go, uh, you talked about getting the tests and now your life is very much when these symptoms flare up and, and you're getting tested and, and, and making sure that you're healthy and okay. How many COVID tests do you, do you figure that you've had? I've had three in total so far, um, and two chest x-rays and one ECG and I think four blood tests. <laughs> And, and this could continue. You don't know how, how long this is going to continue. No, every time I have the flare-ups, I have to get the testing. I hope that eventually, you know, we know more about the disease so that the doctors will understand what's happening to me and be able to sort of tell me what I can do without having to poke me and prod me and scan me. But <laughs> All right. Well, I, I hope the same. And uh, for continued, I would say good health, but the continued improved health, uh, I think, as we move forward. Uh, Kyla, thanks for joining us to talk more about this today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me.